Welcome to Indie Insider, presented by Blackshell Media. This is the weekly show where we speak with indie video game developers, publishers, and industry professionals about their projects, their stories, and their advice to others. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show, I sit down with none other than Richard Bartle, co-creator of MUD and considered by many to be one of the fathers of MMOs. Richard shares the story of how MUD came to be, his thoughts on the current state of MMOs and indie video games, his passion for Westworld, and Richard shares his advice for the aspiring developers out there. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes and other podcast services across the internet, and please leave a review. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com or reach out on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Finally, special thanks to Richard for joining us on the show, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, Richard Bartle. Welcome to Indie Insider Today. I'm talking with Richard Bartle. Richard, how's it going? It's going fine, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited to have you on. You are, I mean, to me, you are a pioneer in the video game industry, so I'm so excited to chat with you, pick your brain a little bit about uh, video games as a whole, the industry, and and some of your thoughts. So I'm happy to have you. Pick away. (laughs) Well, let's just start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about you, who you are, what's your origin story? Oh, okay. Well, when my um, spacecraft uh, crash-landed on planet Earth from Krypton... (laughs) uh, Okay, so um, I'm English, obviously you can tell that by the accent. Um, Yeah, I'm from a a part of England called Yorkshire, which means that I pronounce all my vowels in a flat way, so I say words like bath instead of bath and... The word L-O-O-K and L-U-C-K both sound as look when I say it. So neither of them is you know, just look, look, look. It's the same okay. word. Okay. All right. Um, uh, but other than that, um, I just sound like your regular Hollywood villain. Um, <laughs> uh, born in 1960, which makes me something like 110. Uh, and um, came from a pretty remote place on the coast not a lot going on there. Um, got to... So, oh, sorry. Go, no, no, no. I was just going to say, so yeah, I was sorry. on your website. Boring you already. <laughs> no, it's all right. I just, uh, I, I'm already thinking of questions. I'm already thinking of things I want to ask you about. So you grew up in this little town, right? I was, yeah. um, you know, if you click around on your website, you can find a bio, you can find some, you know, information on things you've done. Maybe I should um, click to find out what I've said. I don't know. Maybe you should keep on top of that. But uh, <laughs> I was taking a look and... It's you talked a lot about your childhood and about kind of these this group of friends you were with. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, yes. Yeah, so the, the, okay, back then we didn't have um, the internet. We didn't have computers. Um, I remember getting color televisions. You know, it's kind of that old. Um, <laughs> so, um, but also we didn't get things like large amounts of homework at school. So um, we did have some spare time. And we used that spare time to play games. Um, not all of us, obviously, but some of us were gamers. And my dad was a gamer, so um, I and my brother were. And I, we had, had some friends who we met and found out they were gamers. So we used to play games um, together, all sorts of games, some SPI games. Um, mainly Dungeons & Dragons, once that came out in uh, 76, I think we got our copy. For okay. £6 or something, it was uh, the white box version. Probably still worth six pounds. Uh, <laughs> and we in, we designed games, made games, play tested games together. Um, 
so I just have a background in games. These are all board games, obviously, because of the lack of computer games. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do some um, choose your own adventure games. I made some of those. Um, I made some games just for me that I played on my own. Um, I um, invented a role playing that way just for myself. Obviously, um, <laughs> no one else play, ever played played the games that was me, and uh, <laughs> and I was I was still beaten to the punch by um, Gygax and Arnus, and I didn't know anybody. Everybody didn't, that didn't play those games, but I did write games just for me to play as ways of um, telling myself stories. So. Yeah. Long background well, games. Sure, yeah. It seems like that was, or, or at least you said, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, kind of that style. Playing that in your childhood is kind of what inspired you later on to some of the work that you did, um, you know, further on in your career. Um, no. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, all right. Never mind then. Um, no, uh, <laughs> the, um, some of the work I'd already done inspired me to play Dungeons and Dragons. I'd always been making worlds, you see. Um, okay. It's one of the things that I liked doing. I liked creating worlds. And Dungeons and Dragons was a way that I could do them and show other people around. Because I'd been show, making the worlds and then visiting them myself. And writing diaries as I explored my own worlds. Sure. Um and I, I built. I, we had lots of games that we did. Me and my brother invented a, a number of games that were um, set in similar or related universes to to, to um, between the games. Um, and we did many. I, I mean, it, it world building was was what we did. Obviously, I didn't know much about world building, but I did know things like rivers tend to start in high places and end up at the sea. Uh, that sort of stuff. Um, I didn't know much about plate tectonics, uh, but I did. I had heard of it at some point. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I was making worlds, and then uh, Dragons was a way of making worlds that um, other people could um, explore. Um, okay. But then, when I got access to computers, um, that's when I started making worlds that other people could explore without the need for another person to be an intermediary and so um, I met some other uh, student at the University of Essex where I now work as it happens um, well I say work but I, what I should, probably should say is they pay me that's probably the better way <laughs> of putting it uh, uh, so I um, I met a, a friend Roy Trubshaw well he's a friend now he wasn't a friend when I met him he was just a complete stranger but once I'd met him he was a friend and we um, uh, he'd been experimenting with some uh, techniques that he'd discovered in um, the the mainframes of way of doing things uh, and they enabled him to do communication simultaneously between users and from that, he wanted to make a world. I'd made worlds before, and so we hooked up. I mean, Roy led for the first couple of years, and then I took over. Um, and we called it MUD, Multi-User Dungeon. And um, that's probably why you're talking to me, and I'm not just sitting at home watching Westworld. <laughs> have you been have. watching Westworld? Yes, I've got it recorded, the final episode recorded, so don't give me any spoilers. I don't want to know what happens. I'm pretty okay. sure Ford's no going to die. Ford's going to die, and, uh, and I think the man in black's going to die because they're both movie actors and they're not going to be in the series. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Excellent. We'll try not to get too far off topic. Yes, yes, sorry, yes. But yes, it's, it's very interesting. For professional interest, obviously, only. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, I should be playing games. <laughs> well, uh, so yes, you created uh, Mud, right? Yes. What is Mud? What is this? Um, okay, Mud is um, a virtual world. Um, it's a uh, it's like a, an MMO today. Um, pretty well, every MMO is a direct descendant of Mud. Mm-hmm. Um, but without the graphics, because if all you have as an output device is a teletype, um, teletype being like a typewriter attached to paper, a typewriter being something like a keyboard that you've got attached to your computer. So punching away, things appearing uh, on paper, there's not a lot of pictures you can do that way. Um, 
in fact, you, we couldn't even do lowercase letters. Our, everything was in capitals. Oh. So, um, so we did it in text. Um, but that's good because there's a lot you can do in text that you can't do in pictures. Um, so it, 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 it gave us a lot of flexibility. Um, and we wanted to create this world that was, um, well, basically better than the real world. Um, it's not hard. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so that was our aim. We, we didn't like the real world. Um, I thought it sucked, uh, too much, um, privilege, too much bias, too much people being determined who they were by their background, the way they spoke, their social surroundings, their gender, their age, you know, sexuality, the whole works. So we wanted to make a world where that wasn't the case, where you could be yourself, become yourself if you didn't know who you were. And that's why we made Mud. And that's why we were keen for other people to play it and for other people to write their um, virtual worlds as well. And some of them did. <clears throat> and some of those fell on stony ground, but some of them were um, seeds that themselves grew into um, games that other people play and thought, mm, we could do that only better. And some of them did, and some of them weren't better, and some of them were, and some of them were played, and some of them weren't. And and it kept going on. People would play them, like the idea, do their own take on it, and um, eventually we wound up with today's MMOs. Um, the the reason... I mean, Mud wasn't a um, the only um, game of its kind created. Um, the idea of making a virtual world on a computer isn't actually all that... Um, uh, um, in innovative well it, it sort of is uh, basically uh, to, to, to make a world at that time you pretty well had to want to do it and so mm -hmm. the people who made them were ones who wanted to make them and they were invented or reinvented at least five other times any one of which could also have led to um, today's MMOs and some of them today's MMOs do indeed descend from um, or at least they got in their DNA um, material that's not from the original mud. It's from either um, Scepter of Goth, which is an American one, written about the same time as mud by mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, Clee, uh, Cleats. I think he's um, Alan. I think he's pronounced Cleats. Um, um, okay. Um, Alan Cleats. Um, and um, there was um, the, the Plato system had some games on there which modern um, eyes would look on and think, yeah, they're, they're prototype muds. <laughs> um, there was um, a graphical one called Island of Kesmai that, um, when I say graphical, the pictures were drawn in ASCII characters. So, like, square brackets open, square bracket close, that's a wall, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Um, and so that naturally lent itself to tile-based um, worlds later on. Um, so there was quite a few uh, others, but the reason that most MMOs are descended from mud is because we let people look at the code. We gave the code away. Um, so whereas the others tried to protect it, or they didn't try to protect it, but it, they couldn't really not protect it because it was pro um, it only worked on one system. Oh, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, so sure. the avatar thing, yes, yeah, so lots of people, it was like 15% or something like that of um, the software that was uh, uh, the time spent on the uh, the avatar system was all uh, was this this on the plato system was this game avatar so avatar was very popular but it, it was in a walled garden because you could only play if you had a particular um type of um, console attached to a particular computer mainframe system in the u.s so it couldn't ever escape from there whereas mud um once it broke free, once people were copying it and it spread like wildfire across the internet, um, there was something like two and a half thousand, um, maybe more, Diku Muds around. Diku Mud was the, the version that came out at um, in about 1991, I think, okay. um, from 
Copenhagen. And I can go back into the history if you're really interested, but I can tell you're not. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not that I'm not interested. It's just, I'm just thinking, I'm, well, there were multiple iterations of mud, correct? Yes, yes. There were multiple yeah. iterations of mud, but lots of people that um, made their own games based on it. Right, right. So what was the thought process behind giving away that code, right? It, it, or not even uh, being so intentional with protecting it. What was what was the thought there? Um, okay, well, there were two um, motivations. One of them was it would have just been wrong to keep it proprietary because we developed this um, while we were students. And back in those days, we had grants per paid for by the UK taxpayer and we thought it would be wrong of us to try and assert intellectual property over something which had been paid for by honest working people who had been paying for our um, our grants, our student grants. Sure, sure. So that's one reason why we felt it. But the main reason we would do it was because we, um, we wanted to get the concept out there. We wanted there to be more worlds. We wanted more people to create these worlds and we wanted them to spread because in a world that's been created to... Uh, well, it's, it's not. It's just I'm trying not to rant. <laughs> no, no, no. Feel <laughs> rant free to rant. You are in okay. a safe ranting space. Okay. Let's go ahead. You do you. Oh, uh, right. Okay, right. We're here to listen to you. Um, okay, so... Um, so I said earlier my accent's um, an English accent uh, from Yorkshire, but um, it's actually, um, if you were English, you would recognise it's um, a working class accent um, from um, a, a, the land where peasants live. Um, okay. Um, Roy Trubshaw, um, his accent is also working class. His is more like from the land where the factory workers live. Um, when um, we went to university, about one in seven of the population did People from our backgrounds were rarely among them. Um, I think maybe there was, I don't know, two or three people from our school went to university the year before us. Um, you know, it wasn't very, very um, frequent. Um, people f with my kind of background were not going to go to university. Um, okay. But um, there were some subjects where you could get in. Um, because they needed, in, in our particular case, computer science engineers. I actually went to study maths, um, but the only course I could get on was the was one that had a computing and physics sort of component to it. Okay. And um, and when we got to university, we found that we were looked down on by everybody. Um, engineers were people who climbed at telegraph poles. They weren't. Um, you know, proper people um the middle classes sent their children to um universities to study uh, art or politics or if they weren't all that bright economics uh sociology stuff like that and people who were there to study sciences were regarded as um, um like on they're on sufferance but computer science oh that that would be that would that was not um, regarded as in any way academically respectable. The people really? who did it, yeah, yeah, the people who did it were all um, looked down on as cranks, um, freaks. Um, no one would hang out with us. We hung out with each other. Um, but the thing was, um, in order for, uh, because of this small window where we could get into university, the people who did get in tended to be either. Uh, middle-class people who happened to have a really strong interest in computer science and denied their parents' wishes to go and study something proper, <laughs> like, you know, physics or law or something, um, or they were um, geniuses from the lower classes, and um, Roy and I would fall into that category. Um, very clever people. Um, that really actually hurts to say that, but nevertheless... Um, <laughs> Fair enough. That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, anyway, um, and we, Roy and I, really did not like this. We did not like the way we were treated. We didn't like the way that we were looked down on because of uh, where we'd come from, from what for what we were doing, because we were, um, uh, we, we we didn't have any interactions with the students because they would always slap us down. Um, 
it, it did, and it wasn't it wasn't right. I mean, it just wasn't right. The world shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't be judged based on how you how the rest of the world perceives you to be with no evidence. I mean, if you act like a dick, okay, you're a dick. But if people treat you like a dick because they decide that anybody who's um, not the same as them, um, it must be a dick, well, that's not right. And we didn't like that. We wanted a world where people could could be themselves. Uh, it didn't matter what your background was. It didn't matter what your accent was. It didn't matter if you were in a wheelchair. Um, you just... We wanted a world where you could just be free. It was always about freedom. We were making a world where people were free to be themselves. That's That was our aim, just freedom to be themselves. It was this sort of thing we never actually discussed in those terms. We just both knew that's what we wanted, freedom. It was everybody there, that all our friends wanted that. And, and we were in a position to do it, to, to give it. So we did. We made a world that we thought would be better than the real world. Okay, because we were only 18 and 19. Roy was a year older than me. Um, we uh, 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 misjudged, how, well not misjudged, we had no clue how difficult it would be to make um, a virtual world. <laughs> but we had we, we were so intent on making something better than the real world that that's what we did. We, we set out to do it. And because of that, we wanted other people to make worlds. We wanted to get the world out, word out. So we let people who um, make games. The only thing we did stop, try to do, was to stop them from calling it mud. And some people, um, um, we made a game mud. The other people made a game. One of which was called Abermud by the uh, University of Aberystwyth. Um, oh. um, that was um, Alan Cox, who later went on to be Mr. Linux. Number, you know, the, oh, um, all right, yeah. Um, and um, people who played Abermud then thought, well, we like that. Um, there was a big um, schism in about 1990 where all the social-oriented players split from the game-oriented players and set up their own social worlds, which didn't have any gameplay. That allowed the um, games players to have free reign and they reacted against it and went hardcore Dungeons and Dragons-style um, role-playing games. From that, we got Dikumud, Datalogic Institute, Copenhagen University, um, although in Danish. Uh, that, um, the cup, yeah, two and a half thousand or so of those. Um, <clears throat> some of the people who played that, um, liked the concept, took the gameplay, put a, um, graphical front end on it, um, although that, it's a bit more complicated than what I've just made it sound, but, uh, sure. essentially EverQuest is, um, uh, Dickermud's gameplay with a graphical front end. Um, Ultima Online wasn't Dickermud's gameplay, but most of the people working on it came from MUDs because, um, I mean, MUDs accounted in 1994, text MUDs accounted for 11% of the traffic on, inter on the internet. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but then um, the World War Egg came out and graphics appeared and they gobbled it all up. But um, sure, but, but yes, yeah, not not too bad being eleven percent of the internet. Um, and then um, so the, the the people who'd uh, who'd played these games, I mean, there was you know, hundreds of people who had experience in developing muds. For every one person who'd worked on Island of Kesmai or. Um, the Scepter of Goth or one of its offspring or um, um, Habitat. Um, so there was, just by sheer weight of numbers, the people who got snapped up to work on these games mainly had a mud background. And because of that, they carried through the culture and the ideals of mud into their games. So EverQuest was made and then um, the people who... Uh, played that some of them thought we can do better and um some of them did made word of warcraft um now people look at world of warcraft and think we can do better than that and given half a billion pounds they probably could so sure um that's how we get to today and it's the same it's not just the uk the, 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 there's also a thread um running out into the far east which also descends from mud so they're um that that's pretty well the the family tree um <laughs> and it's it comes down there because two working class 
boys from England were really, really annoyed by the the way the world was treating them. Well, it seems like such a, a cliche or a corny story that, you know, two kids aren't treated correctly and they want to escape into this world they make themselves. But, it, and it seems that way looking from 2016, but that seems like one of the original stories, right? It's, I don't know, how does it feel to be labeled as one of the father of MMOs, of, you know, having your hand in the beginning of all of this? Well, we were always going to get MMOs, um, because as I said, um, if, if, if Roy and I had been hit by trucks, we'd still have them, because they'd have come out of Scepter of Golf or Island of Kesmai, or somebody else in some university in Alabama would have made it. I mean, who knows? Sure. Uh, so we're always going to get them. Um, but the reason Roy and I were among the first, partly we were born at the right time, but partly because although plenty of people could have made um, something like mud, they needed to have a reason to. And most of the pioneers had reasons to make their games, whether the, they wanted to play them or whether they wanted to have um, uh, play with gameplay, or whether they wanted to um, play with technology, uh, or whether they wanted to say something. And in our case, we wanted to say something. We wanted to say something through the game design. And um, because of that, um, we had a vision um, and a drive, which if you were just somebody who was messing around with code, you, you wouldn't have had sure. so you know, how does it feel to be well i mean actually it feels quite nice i get invited on to podcasts and all sorts of things that i wouldn't do if i if i was just a regular <laughs> um <laughs> regular uh stay at home programmer uh but um the thing is um the um i since you, you well did not because you're uh, an, an indie podcast but since you are an indie podcast i may as well um make this connection that, that's pretty sure. well that's pretty well what it takes today what, um indie games they don't have the um the funding they don't have the time to be spent on them they don't have access to all the biggest best tools they don't have access to every develop um, software development kit um, they don't have the best graphics. They don't have enough time for polish. But the people who are making those games have got drive, ambition, and they want to say something. They want to say something so badly that they're prepared to spend all their time making these games to articulate something that they couldn't say except through the games. And that's why indie games are the place where all the original ideas come from, all the passion comes from, all the the experimentation, the evolution, the revolution comes because individuals want to say something through their design. It, game design is an art form, and because it's an art form, that means it's a form of self-expression. Uh, why are you making games? You're not going to make any money out of making games. You may as well just write stories. You're not going to make money out of that. Um, why are you making games? Why aren't you out there feeding the poor? Why aren't you out? <laughs> yeah. Why aren't you um, making movies? Why aren't you um, running some uh, Twitter feed with, or um, playing Twitch games or um, doing a um, some kind of V blog or whatever they call them vlogs? I don't know. Uh, but I mean, there's all sorts of things you could be doing. You could be running for politics, trying to change the world. But you're not. You're making games. Why are you making games? You're making games because nothing else lets you say say what games let you say. And what is it that games let you say? Well, if you could say it in words, then you wouldn't need to write the games. You need to write the games because the games are what what you're saying. They, they're your your language they're your the, the, the content of your thoughts are um, the, the, what you're trying to s express is in the games 
you may know some what some of the symbols mean you may know what some of the um, the grammar is but as for what you're saying well you just say it and hope that others can interpret it and because of this um, the the that, that's why an, uh, an indie game developer is going to have their games are going to have more well not going to say more so their games are actually going to have a soul whereas games which are have too much artistic input from too many different people unless you've got someone very strong um in control um of, of their own vision and able to maintain that and there are um games out there which are like that and where the designer does um, manage to keep enough of a enough control mm -hmm. um, so unless you've got that well i mean indie games are always going to be better the trouble is there are so many games out there being made by people who have no idea what they're doing that it's actually hard to find games by people who do know what they're doing what do you think about that about this flood of indie games how do how do people stand out and especially when they don't have the funding well they don't stand out <laughs> that's yeah. the problem um the if there's i don't know how many games are on the app store million and a half two million it could be anything i don't know um it's the same problem with books uh, in fact it's worse with books because um there are computers automatically generating books to put on the amazon store mm -hmm. um we're not quite at that stage yet for um, computer games although we are getting surprisingly close um because um, i do see some some ai work in uh, on that but um the, the 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 main problem is we used to in the past complain that you could never get your indie game published because there wasn't enough room on the shelf in um, in the game stores. So if you wanted your game to appear in a game store, you, you have to pay the game store to put your game on its shelf. Mm -hmm. And we were thinking, oh, when the internet comes out, that's great. There'll be infinite shelves. And it is true. There are infinite shelves. But unfortunately, there's infinite number of games on them. And you can't <laughs> can't find a game. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so discoverability is a big problem um basically you've, you you have to um advertise or get the word out some kind of campaign and what that boils down to is how much money am i willing to pay to buy a player and then you look at the lifetime value of that player and if it's less than the amount of money that it would cost to buy you to buy the player then you're stuffed and it's been that way you have been stuffed since november 2014 <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting to hear you talk about the as you said the soul of mm. games and of indie games um and and how indie games have more of that drive than maybe the ones that are have too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Or, you know, are kind of fueled by the business of video games. Mm. It's interesting because the past couple of weeks, we've been talking to people on this show about a lot about the business side, about being an entrepreneur in the industry, about marketing your game. It's, it's interesting to hear from somebody who, you know, who had a hand in this industry so early on, the importance of that drive, how things are fueled. Um, and, and it's actually quite inspiring. So thank you for, for sharing some of that. Um, well, I'm happy to inspire people, but not, not if they're going to be inspired to mortgage their house and then lose it all. Uh, yeah. you, you do have to be realistic about these things. And um, mm -hmm. the, the thing is, the, um, the people who make games um, just want to make games. But if you want to survive um, in the industry you're not actually making games what you're making is a company and it's the company that's got the value not the games when you sell it all up and um move to your retirement home it'll be the company you sell it won't be the games you sell the, the you're only as good as your last game um so the 
the, the business side of things is now far more um, urgent than it used to be back in the day. Yeah. But if all you have is the business side of the game, well, if your company's not making things that people want to play, then uh, you're still stuffed. Um, what we seem to be getting are safe games, games which people which don't take too many risks because if you if you take too big a risk, you lose all your money. So you you make a game that's safe. Um, it might have a couple of innovations in it, but it's not going to be um, rocking the boat too much. Um, and those are the, the so the game's not actually bad. It's um, it's just just good enough. And even games at the top of the you know the uh, the charts for mobile games are they're not bad. They're just just good enough. Um, none of them are particularly brilliant and inspiring, but they're good enough that if you can get players, people will play them. Um, it's just that we know that hidden in that mass of games at, afterwards, there are some which the people who are playing these games would love. They just, are they ever going to find them? Yeah, yeah. Do you have time to play games in your yeah. life? Yeah, yeah, because I don't watch any television except for things like Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some of the games recently that you've played that have stood out to you a little more that are maybe a step above that just good? Um, okay, well, my field is MMOs. And the only one that I've played in the past few years that I really have thought this is special would be um, The Secret World. Okay. Which is beautiful gem of a game, but they ran out of money at the wrong time. And... Uh, <laughs> finished different parts of it at different times and um, had to build extra systems on top of it and um, it it didn't it didn't gel um sure. but, but the, the the part that the, the original concept of it and the, much of the game as you play it um, at least until you get to Tokyo is it's just ah oh, just so sweet i mean it's oh wow that that Ah, the, 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 there are so many different objects of beauty in the in the game mechanics. I mean, you just have to look at the, the skill wheel. Is it? Uh, it's it's like you. When I first saw that skill wheel, I was reading the, the the components. I thought, ah, it's like I wanted to grab hold of somebody and say, look, look at this skill wheel. Just look at it. Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there aren't many people you can do that to. Well, and, probably not. No. Uh, um, I have played plenty of other games uh, since then. The last one. Um, I played um, to um, like, like, like to see how it was like. That would be um, Black uh, Black Desert Online. Okay. And that looks looks gorgeous. It's got lots of balance, lots of polish. Um, so many different systems. So they interact in so many different ways. Um, it's very well engineered, and it's utterly soulless. It's just uh, not, nothing, nothing there to in it to say. It doesn't say anything. It, all it says is this is a game so vast that there's something in it for everybody and nothing in it for anybody. Um, it's grind, 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 and it's just a case of do I want to grind the fighting or do I want to grind the chopping down trees or do I want to grind the breeding horses or do I want to grind the growing crops or... Do I want to grind the uh, making boats? I mean, and you go from one, it takes you, you know, half an hour to ride from one city to another, from one end of the continent to the other. And you get to the other and it looks completely different, but all the shops sell the same things. And uh, uh, Sure. So, and it's just got no, no soul to it. It's, it, it, it's perfectly serviceable, It's but it's like a, it's it's like mindless. It, 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 it was, whereas the secret world has a, um, it's. Hmm, I'm trying to tr try not to use the word soul, particularly since I'm an atheist and don't believe in them. <laughs> but I think it's a little too late for that. You may have said it a few times already. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, but it's, it's. It has a 
not just a spark, but it's got it's got depths, and not the depths aren't just in the gameplay; they're in the symbolism that you attach to the gameplay. Okay. So things you do in the gameplay have meaning, and that meaning is conveyed. It's carried by the gameplay, and that's where it has to be in a game because. Um, when you get these self-conscious art games that um, they, they try, they, they almost invariably put the um, the symbolism at the the surface level. So these tokens are, you think that they're this, but ha ha, actually they're this. Or um, where, but that's not that's not where the symbolism in games is because that symbolism works in anything. For games, the symbolism has to be in the gameplay because. Otherwise, why are you doing games? It has to be in the gameplay. That's the only thing that games have that nothing else has. So that's where you have to drive it. This is why, I mean, for example, in Mud, we were all about freedom. So we didn't have character classes. We didn't have um, character races. I mean, that's character races is a terrible thing if you if you actually think about it. What it's saying um, is... It, it's okay to ghettoize people. It's okay to judge people by their um, by their DNA. Um, it's uh, what are these? These are Scottish-speaking dr- um, drunken drunken dwarfs. These are feet tree-hugging archery magicy elves. Uh, these are um, little techno big-eared big-nosed goblins. But that is awful. Where are the half elves? Where are the the elf dwarf crossbreeds? No, you just have to put, live in your little pocket. Your if you decide that you're going to be born a a, a, a troll or a troll, however you want to pronounce it, then you are one, and that's your lot. Likewise with the careers, you choose um, choose your character class, and what's that saying? Once you've um, um, decided which train to board, you don't get to change stations. You just have to ride on to the destination and let's hope you enjoy the ride. And when you get to there to the other end, well, all that ride that you enjoyed on the way, we'll just replace that with um, um, join a gang and tread water until we release some more levelling content. Uh, What the, the systems are saying is... It's unpleasant in some cases, but in other cases, it's not unpleasant. The, the way that um, the secret world does it with its skill wheel is um, it, it essentially saying, you decide who who you want to be right now. You get to decide, you get to be who you want to be. I mean, it's a freedom thing. There are limits because the game's obviously got to have um, some limits to it. Right, right. Um, but it's allowing people to make their own way to evolve as human as players as, as humans as people with mud we had a similar thing we we wanted it to be free so we we didn't want to give people character classes that define anything we didn't want them to have um anything that tied them tied them down for life even things like gender we wouldn't have had gender in mud if the english language hadn't forced it on us so <laughs> We only, we asked two questions at the beginning by what name shall I call you and what sex do you wish to be? And then we had spells and rooms and objects and things which would change your sex. So you'd be playing and then after a while you might think, am I male or female at the moment? And you'd have to like type score and look, all oh, right, okay, male, good. Um, so it was it was always meant to be a place where you could determine your own identity and you weren't stuck by early decisions you'd, where you'd made things wrong. Um, you weren't pigeonholed by preconceptions of other people. Uh, you weren't um, massacred on a field of game balance by forcing you to fit in one of a certain number of slots. Um, and, I mean, I... I I knew about character classes from Dungeons and Dragons, obviously, but I wasn't going to put them into mud. Sure. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm starting to rant again. <laughs> well, you are, but I'm actually enjoying it. I think that it's really interesting to hear your uh, your personal perceptions of 
the way games are designed now. And uh, I don't know, I hear it almost as a bit of a challenge for the aspiring developers out there who want to build something that is more free, who don't want to be tied to the constraints of, you know, how games should be with their class systems. Um, I don't know. It's fascinating to listen to. Uh, Well, my advice to people who are making games is to figure out why they want to make them. Um, If it's that you want to make a game that you want to play, okay, well, that's that's how most designers started out. But basically, you're still just a player. You're a player and you don't like the way that games are at the moment. So you want to make one that you yourself would play. Um, thereby guaranteeing you an audience of at least one. Um, <laughs> but you're not the person who's going to be playing it. People are going to be playing it. So when you're making games that you want to play, that's because the games that you're seeing are somehow not right for you. You're seeing flaws in them. You're seeing things about them that you wish were changed. And you're making a game is a way of identifying to yourself the things that you're didn't like about the other games the things that the other games were doing wrong now as for why they were wrong it might be well it wasn't fun but fun for some people is it it wasn't fun for you why isn't it fun what what is it about the game that makes it not fun for you and once you start thinking about this once you start why am i making this game um why have i spent so much time on it why have i why am i designing the game you don't actually have to make it you can do thinking about this while you're designing it um although you can do design and make it both together or um if you're um um, experimenting that is probably the best thing so long as you don't mind spending three times as long as if you didn't do it that way Mm. uh and if you know why you're making the games then it gives you a a sense of what it is you're trying to say through the games and if you if you're thinking what do i want to say through the games it's not a case of um how will i say it because while you're in in the in the act of attempting to figure out why you're making the games the pieces will they'll just fall into place if you want a game about freedom you're not thinking which pieces will give me freedom it's the I want this this I've got this concept of that I'm trying to build a game out and anything that's not going to fit it'll just bounce off. If, if something does get through in, in into your um, field of view and it's and it's the wrong thing, you'll you'll recognise it, but it'll help because um, at some level you'll you'll know why you thought it might be a good idea and now you know why it it's not a good idea or why it would be a good idea if only all, you didn't have all these other components that aren't fitting together with it properly. So um, it's uh, for, for, for new designers and probably jaded old timers as well. <laughs> um, it, it does always pay to figure out why you're make want to make this game. What is it about this game that you want to make? And if it's, I mean, there's any number of different answers. Um, for for my students, the answer is, I'm only obeying orders. You made me make the game, so that's why I made it. Simple answer, and um, fair enough. For other people, <laughs> it's, um, I am operating under the deluded idea that it's conceivable I may make millions of dollars from this game. Um, well... You're not going to make that. And I can say that pretty confidently because I'm only going to be wrong to one listener if you've got like five million of them. <laughs> the Fair rest, enough. yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing is, everybody thinks that they're the, they're the one who's actually going to make the big time. If you, um, if you expect um, modest success, then um, you're not going to be disappointed. Um if you're expecting major success, then oh, I hope you've got a financial fa- safety net. Um, yeah, that's valid. That's valid, um, especially in the way our industry is set up currently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, currently, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, uh, you've, you've danced around it, but if people can't tell already, you are currently 
teaching. You teach at Essex, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yes, I, yeah. I am teaching. Yes. Um, you can tell based on the way you you speak. I can I can hear that you. Yeah, but I that teacher in you. Yeah, but I spoke like that before I was a teacher. It's not like I've been trained as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> the trainers are yeah, and and the students don't really appreciate when someone's ranting in front of them for two hours. <laughs> so haven't uh, they heard of a lecture? It's a lecture. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You have your PhD in artificial intelligence. Right? That's right. Yes, uh, and then you. I'm just kind of running through the list. Uh, you actually wrote a book as well, Designing Virtual Worlds. Can you tell me a little bit about the book? Um, yeah, I, um, I figured someone was going to write this book, and so it may as well be me, because that way people would be, um, I was going to say buying it, but actually they, um, what they do is they download it from torrents. But, well, <laughs> uh, but people yeah. would be reading the book, um, and at least it would have my, um, uh, it, it would be, um, it wasn't so much that I wanted to be in first so that I'd get all, all kinds of glory. That wasn't my... What I wanted to do was to get in first because I didn't want someone else to do it wrong. That was the thing. I didn't want someone else to, to, to write the, the definitive book about MMOs and me think, that that's nonsense, patent nonsense. Um, now, as it happens, I wrote the book, which I now look at and think, that's nonsense, that's patent <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> but not all of it. <laughs> So, all right, all right. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was um, a book. It still sells reasonably well. Um, they did ask me to do an update for it, but um, um, I probably will do an update for it, but not straight away. There's other things I want to do. And last year, I I wrote two other books. Um, oh, you did. Ah, ah, now you see that. Oh, you did. Um, is because the publishers have done. Uh, pretty well nothing to publicize it uh, um, and the this time last year i was working every every hour i could to correct the corrections that the type um the the sub editors had been making to the to the text um i'd sent the book off in um in the belief that it would be published in english and it turns out that there's this um form of English known as American and uh, the publishers wanted it in that form of English so they gave it to their sub-editors and each one of them had a different view so some oh, of them wow. would spell okay as okay and some of them would be okay A-Y and I'd have to go through changing them all and some of them would be um, uh, any conjunction in a sentence must have a, a full stop or sorry, period in an American before it so I was having sentences that were starting with words like and, which, ah, I can't tell you how how I so don't do that. <laughs> and and <laughs> there were so many things, and I had to keep correcting because they had all these different sub-editors racing round the clock to get the game out by the end of the year. And then once the game was out, I didn't hear anything for three or four months. Um, then someone said, oh, I saw your book on Amazon. Oh, but, 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 oh, um... Um, and so, yeah, so the, there's two books. Um, I'm, actually, I'm sounding like a celebrity plugging my book here. Aren't I? Um, That's what podcasts them, are for. I think it's good. You're all right. Yes. One of them is um, called MMOs. Well, it was going to be called MMOs for the win, but it's actually called MMOs from the inside out. And that's looking at MMO design and MMOs from the perspective of people who make and play them. Um, I touched on some of the content in what I've said earlier, so obviously my my life history hasn't changed since then. So, um, <laughs> so some of the things that um, that that I've spoken of here, there's there's in some of the history in the book. Some of it's more detailed than what I said. Some of it's less detailed than what I've said. So, but it's got things like that. Then it goes into you know, designing them and it goes into um, different uh, think, things like the art of games and uh, but it's all coming from the point of view of the players sure, or, or, and designers the other book is called MMOs from the outside in and that's coming from the perspective of people who are looking at MMOs from the outside world so it's talking about things like um, legal implications of, and economic implications and um, 
education, things like that, where people are looking at games without without necessarily um, having in for them, um, although some of the psychologists do, but with but looking at them less as um as an object um of value in in and of itself and more of an object which um can be used as a tool for helping with i don't know ai or something i think that's in there maybe i should just grab the books and look inside so um um or or using it um as, as what its effect on society is and things like that so there's, so there's the, the two books there's inside out and outside in um and well, i was hoping that they'd be um really quite popular but as it happens since no one's heard of them <laughs> they're not oh no well, i'm sorry about that i'm, I'm yeah, actually so, i found it online right now i'm looking at um outside in right now i'm sure it'll make a great christmas present <laughs> well there well, actually, you go <laughs> inside out's probably the one to read first and then outside in <laughs> sure well there you go audience go check out these books they actually look great so, um, yeah, I, I yeah, think they don't look as great as they would um, if the printing had been so the pictures were more visible, and if the vast quantities of white space had had the things, in, the little sections that I'd written to fill the quantities of white space put in them. So, uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I can see why no one's buying them as, as I say, as I speak. <laughs> <laughs> just, well, I am sorry about that. The um, content is actually, I quite, I'm pretty pleased with the content it's just the presentation that's, that could be somewhat better <laughs> well here's your stocking stuffer you got your book right here um the content as you can hear from the author himself is is very good so uh, um, i think we should all check but, that out yes yes now, now you've made me sound like i'm doing some kind of self-aggrandizement <laughs> I, i'm doing it for you it's all right oh okay yes oh right yes. okay yes yes yeah, I'm, I'm oh, well, hyping up your work. It's great. Oh, thanks. Yes. yes <laughs> the, the check is in the post. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, uh, normally, uh, I don't even know where to go from here. This has been great. You have been just fantastic to talk to, Richard. So thank you so much for uh, chatting with me, sharing your thoughts on MMO, sharing your story. Um uh, I, I've taken a lot in, so thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry that um, I seem to speak indefinitely. You could have gone off and had a cup of coffee and come back. Maybe had a shower. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I. Well, and and th- again, this is a chance where you know we kind of get to hear more in depth. We can find your you know your story, your biography online, but to hear it from you and hear you know what the intent was behind it, that's what really you know helps those aspiring developers it, it gives us something to go off of i think it's great so uh, okay yeah. well aspiring developers keep the faith that you are the future whether you believe it now or not well at the end of every episode of indie insider i do ask my guests to share a piece of advice and that sounds like that's it is is keep the faith yeah um if you believe in what you're doing then do it um, I realise that that's pretty bad if you're a Satanist, but um, huh. uh, but nevertheless, everyone's got something to say, and if your medium is computer games, then that's what you should be saying it, and that's the only way we're going to be getting games which are worth playing. I like it. I don't know what else there is to say. Uh, this. <laughs> has been the Indie Insider Podcast. is presented by Blackshell Media, an independent publishing and marketing firm out there to help indie developers and aspiring developers make great games and share them with great people. Uh, of course, they also offer a bunch of educational and motivational services, including this podcast. That's why I get to chat with fantastic people like Richard here and share their stories and share their insight with you. Uh, of course, if you want to be a part of the show, send me an email, logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Let me know your thoughts, your questions. If you have somebody you'd like to see come on the show, let me know. Uh, Richard, if people have really enjoyed you know, what you've had to say here uh, and the books just aren't enough, how can they find you on those interwebs? How can they follow your work? Um, well, um, I... I post a blog every day. Um, doesn't get read by many people because most people just read the cross posts I put on Facebook and Google+. Plus. Um, that's on youhaven'tlived.com, uh, which is because 
you don't really don't want me to explain why. <laughs> okay. yeah. All right. I've only got 30 seconds. I can just email me, richard at mud.co.uk. Richard, thank you very much for coming on the show, for chatting with me today. This has been Indie Insider. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>